Lean thinking is a way of basically going, you don't really know, you might have an idea. What you want to do is get it out quickly into the market, test it, learn, iterate, and sort of bend and sway a little bit in order to find that bigger opportunity. Welcome to Escape the Rat Race Radio. I'm your host, Christian Rodwell, and this is your ticket to Escape the 9 to 5. I see a lot of founders who are like, yeah, I'm being lean, but I've spent two years building this. And I'm like, well, that doesn't sound right, does it? That doesn't sound like you're being lean at all. My name's Christian Rodwell, and today I'm talking with lean thinking expert Dharmesh Reiter about how every aspiring entrepreneur can get started on the right track with lean thinking and obtaining the best results in your new business. Now, Dharmesh is product partner at Forward Partners, and he helps founders go from idea stage to having a great product or service and a successful business. Now, Dharmesh has a passion for user research and lean user experience, and Dharmesh also has a background in artificial intelligence and has been developing products for over 12 years in either his own or other high-profile startups. Now, if you're still in the early stages of developing your own business or perhaps not even launched, then today's episode is going to be especially useful as we discuss some of the methods used in the Lean Business Canvas. And that's a highly engaging and fun way of creating a winning business plan that identifies all of the crucial areas in the business that you need to have sussed out before you advance too far. So let's not wait around any longer. Let's head on over to my conversation with Dharmesh Reiter. Welcome to Escape the Rat Race Radio, Dharmesh. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really, really good to see you again. And it was only about three weeks ago when we actually first met up for the first time. I headed over to your offices over in East London and it was great to see everyone there working away. And uh, we, uh, we hung out and uh, had a little chat for a while and I thought it'd be wonderful to have you on the show today to share your wonderful knowledge and wisdom around <laughs> lean thinking and, uh, and helping aspiring entrepreneurs really get started in business. Yeah, so, more, um, more than happy to. Yeah, so Dharmesh, uh, let's jump straight in. And would you mind letting everybody know a little bit more about your involvement with Forward Partners and specifically, how do you help early stage entrepreneurs in launching a successful business? Yeah. Okay. So um, Forward Partners is an early stage VC firm, uh, but we're, we're different in the sense that uh, we have a startup studio that works together. So we basically invest in uh, and uniquely into founders that have ideas um, they may be, they can be pre-product, pre-traction, pre-team, just themselves and an idea. And uh, we invest um, up to £300,000 in those founders. And then they come and work together with us for 12 months. And I basically run a team of products, engineers, design, UX, growth, uh, PR, talent, uh, who basically work together with the founder to build their company for the first 12 months. Uh, on top of that, we have seed stage companies that we also support. Um, and we help them with consultancy and lots of other pieces that they need. So but I guess for your audience, you know, we, we, um, I've worked since the last five years with over 20 different founders launching companies uh, and helping them grow. So, Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And there may be some terminology today, some language that crops up, which people sure. might, might not be completely clear with. So let's clear that up straight away. And these could be terms like VCs, venture capital and yeah. stuff like lean thinking. So, so give us just a little bit of a, a summary as to what those terms mean in your world. Uh, so venture capital 
Um, so the VC is, and so this will help some people, uh, very big companies with big exits. Um, because of the way that their business model works, um, you know, we, we will work with maybe 30 or 40 companies over the space of um, four or five years. And um, some of them will um, succeed, some of them will do really well. And the nature of venture capital is, um, so our fund is a 60 million pound fund. Um, we, every time we make an investment, we're always thinking, if we take a certain percentage of that company, um, how big of this can this company get? And we need to believe that we can get a return of 60 million pounds from that exit. So if you think about that, like if you have 10% of a company, that means, you know, they need to exit for 600 million pounds. We have to have a belief that in the most optimal case, that is the kind of outcome. Um, so we very often get founders coming to us and we say, no, we won't invest in this company. Um, and they think it's because we don't think their idea is good. And very often it's just that, look, your idea is great and you probably can make a success of it. It's just that it's, it may not be big enough for venture capital. And I think that's, that's a, a different, you know, an angel will have a very different view than what a venture capital will have. Right, right. Well, let's just define what, what an angel is then. For Okay, so um, angel investors are, um, so generally they are individuals who, um, you know, high net worth individuals, they will have some money um, and they very, normally they will try to be the first investor in a company um, and, you know, very different. So that's their own money they're putting into, uh, into, into another founder's idea. So they will be, um, uh, working very closely. They will probably won't have deep pockets to continue to invest in your company. Um, they may make only a few investments, maybe they're, um, experts in a certain domain. And so they'll try to leverage that and make investments where they think that they can help. Um, venture capital, uh, has way more money to invest, um, can follow on more deeply and, um, and, and an angel might be very happy to say, you know what, if you want to exit this company in four years for 50 million pounds, I'm okay with that. You know, I, I'm doing this. Or they might have different, slightly different motivations. Venture capitalists want to back founders that have very big, big opportunities going after big opportunities. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. Thank you for, for clarifying that. And right. the topic of our conversation today is really going to be around this term lean thinking. So yeah. what, does, what does that mean? Um, so, you know, in, I guess in my view, um, you know, People have ideas um, and uh, ideas for startups and being lean is um, thinking about, you know, what's the minimum I need to do to get this idea out into the world because um, what I'm actually doing is I'm trying to find out what is the successful, sort of what is the shape of my startup in order for it to be successful. And I'm starting out from a basis that I don't really know. And so what I need to do is learn very, very quickly. Um, and try things out in order to basically find out what is that sort of startup that is able to grow very fast. And so lean thinking is a way of basically going, you don't really know, you might have an idea. What you want to do is get it out quickly into the market, test it, learn, iterate, and sort of bend and sway a little bit in order to find that, that bigger opportunity. Yeah, that's brilliant. It makes me think, you know, you see the kind of infographic online of ready, fire, aim. It's just, you know, put something out there and, and, and make it perfect later. Because I guess in your experience, there's a lot of people who, who want something to be perfect before they release it. And that could never happen, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, like the number of uh, founders that I see that, yeah, they just think this is my baby. But when it goes out in the world, it has to be perfect. And then, you know, no product survives um, first contact with your customers. So, you know, you've spent a lot of time perfecting the wrong thing. 
Mm. Yeah. So, you know, that, that is the, that is the danger. And you, you know, um, you get a lot, I see a lot of founders who are like, yeah, I'm being lean, but I've spent two years building this. And I'm like, well, that doesn't sound right. Does it? That doesn't yeah. sound like you're being lean at all. Yeah. 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 And a previous guest of mine on the show, in fact, a previous mentor of mine, Roger Hamilton, he always said, you don't have a business when you have a product, you have a business when you have a customer. Yeah. So it, it really is your customers that are, that are number one here. So Dharmesh, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself in terms of your background, education, experience in lean thinking? How did you get started in all of this? Um, okay, how far do you want to go back? <laughs> uh, so, so, I mean, basically, um, I started off, I studied computer science um, purely because I played a lot of computer games as a child and I didn't really know what to do. Um, so I studied computer science and then um, I did a master's in artificial intelligence in 1998, I think. Um, so kind of the first wave of AI before it was kind of ready just because you know, it sounded cool and it was interesting. Um, and then I, um, when I left, I was still in the dot-com first boom. So I graduated and worked for a computer games company that um, raised lots of money to um, sort of take their AI technology and use it in different industries. So it was a very uh, interesting and fun place to start a career. Um, the company was called Cyberlife. It just had a cool name and it was like, you know, fun. Um, and... Uh, and then I basically worked in different companies making virtual pet games. I don't know why that just happened to be my career choice. Um, and then the dot-com crash happened. Um, I was still being a software developer, but now I worked, um, I worked at the BBC on the, I don't know if you remember the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I do. I yeah, do. So I, I worked on the, um, the, the, they basically were making an online version of the Guide to the Universe. It was a bit like the precursor to Wikipedia. Um, and it was, you know, at that time, social, um, sort of social software and user-generated content communities was what the internet was kind of exploiting a lot, lots of ideas around that. So it was, I, I kind of moved away from AI and moved into that space. So I found it very interesting. Um, and then suddenly realized that, like, you know, there are better engineers out there than me. Um, I wasn't a bad engineer, but there were better ones out there. Uh, and I was better um, working on the kind of the product side and, and marrying business and technology and the ideas and the experience and how to, how to do all that. Um, and so I just kind of, you know, changed into that direction and doing products. Um, I then, um, ran my own startup, um, doing kind of virtual pets that run around your desktop, um, which I it built for a year with some friends and then, you know, uh, destroyed my mind and body. And then, um, you know, after a year we closed it down and didn't have a clue what we were doing. Um, continue to work in the tech industry doing products. And, um, then I decided to escape the rat race and I moved to Italy um, uh, to live on a beach and do nothing for three years. Um, you know, just finding whatever work I could find. Uh, and in that time I basically was like, well, how do I, how could I stay in a place? Like, uh, I was living on the beach in Sardinia. How can I stay here? Uh, because the economy is so bad in Italy, I didn't know how to make it work. I was just doing like boring websites and things. So I had an idea for a startup. Um, I raised some um, money from a friend, uh, started building it myself using freelancers and contractors as well to help me all over the world. Um, managed to grow it, um, raise the seed round, um, which was basically more money from, from someone, um, and had sales teams in three different countries. And, uh, and then sort of after about a year and a half, I was getting very burnt out and kind of realized I'm very happy that this thing exists. I'm not sure that I want to then run it for the next seven, eight years. Cause it was a very sales oriented business, which isn't what I envisaged at the beginning. And so I managed to sell it to a company in New Zealand. Um, and then I got offered a job in London uh, making virtual pet games for children called Moshi Monsters. Um, so there was a running theme of virtual pets and I thought, oh, this is interesting. So I uh, joined that as a very early employee 
um, doing products. There was 20 people. And then that went on to, in three years, grow to a 300-person company. Um, you know, was very successful for a moment. Um, Mushy Monsters was everywhere in the world. I learned a hell of a lot. Um, and then when I left there, I was just thinking I, I wasn't really sure what to do. And um, I met Nick Brisbane, who's the managing partner of um, Ford Partners, where I am now. And he just literally started this um, sort of VC plus execution startup studio. And uh, we met and, you know, my experiences of a high growth startups plus having my own startup. Uh, he was like, hey, you know, do you want to come and help me do this? And um, running the startup studio. And so uh, five years ago, you know, I joined Ford Partners and we've sort of worked on the first company. Um, it worked. We took that company from a guy with an idea to, you know, still running now, five years on. Uh, I'm now on, uh, uh, on his board helping him. And uh, we've done it, you know, 20 times since. So I, I guess taking that experience of when I did my own startup, I wish that Ford Partners had existed because I would have executed better on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is some story. And I hope everyone listening now is certain that we are talking to the right guy when it comes to helping entrepreneurs launch a successful business. You've truly been in the trenches there and, and absolutely done everything that you now help others to do successfully as well. Yeah, so. I, I still have RSI for my first start. <laughs> so Darmesh, for those people listening right now, who many will still be in nine to five jobs, but they've got that golden idea in their heads and mm -hmm. they maybe have taken some first steps with it. But what is truly in your mind, the first step that an early stage entrepreneur needs to take when evaluating a new business idea? Yeah. So, um, so we use a few tools here at Forward Partners. And, um, so th there is this, so when we generally, when we invest in companies, uh, we meet a founder who's gone through this process of, in some ways, evaluating their startup idea. Uh, so we will invest when we when they can clearly explain what the problem is and what the solution is. Um, but the journey to get to that point is actually variable. Sometimes someone might be doing that for two years. They might be doing it for three months. But there are ways to accelerate it, I think. Um, so we use a tool called the Lean Canvas, um, which um, is just like a, you know, business plans are not really very useful these days. Um, the Lean Canvas is a very clean tool, easy tool to just think about all different aspects of your business. Um, so it's just basically like a, a square with some boxes in it. Um, one box will say, um, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Um, who are the customers? Um, what are the channels that you will reach um, your customers? You know, what channels would you use? What's the solution? Uh, what's your revenue and what's your cost structure? And you start off with an empty sheet. Uh, and then you can start writing down what you think your idea might be. And, you know, you'll have lots of empty boxes in, in that canvas. And what you, so my big, my big uh, philosophy is the first thing that you really will do is when you write down the problem, um, do you really understand that problem well enough to come up with an innovative solution? Uh, and what I find is most founders don't understand it well enough, understand the nuances, uh, and they jump too quickly into building a solution without doing a step and it's relatively easy and it's basically um you know find 10 to 20 people who have experienced the problem that you are trying to solve and then uh ask them to talk through their experiences of solving that problem you know what was the first point that they tried to solve it what was the trigger that, that caused the problem in the first place what were all the different things step by step that they went through using the other solutions out there in the market um and, you know, just by doing that alone, you start to build up like a much deeper sort of understanding of what the real problems are. 
that, that they might have. Um, and you're not asking them for solutions. You're not saying, what would you wish you had? Because they don't know technology. They don't understand what's possible. But you will develop like an internal sense of whether your idea is really like targeting a real problem. And so that's the first thing to do, right? Go and talk to people, uh, understand how to ask. So lots, yeah, so lots of founders go to people and say, do you like my idea? Here's my idea. Do you like it? And most people will just say, yes, I like it. Yes, that's a problem. I'd use it. Um, you know, that, that doesn't really give you lots of good information. But when you ask someone who has just tried to solve that same problem, uh, a, if you can't find any, that's already a, that gives you some indication, right? That is there really a problem? I can't even find people that have done it. Uh, and then get them to talk through it. And then you'll start to really understand which parts are being solved already very happily and which parts there's lots of opportunity for you to make more efficient or better, et cetera. Um, you know, so that immediately starts to fill out your canvas with, I know what the problem is. I know what my customers look like. I know what channels they might use to solve that problem. Where did they look? Did they look online for a solution? Did they like look in a magazine? Was it a friend that told them, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then the, the solution is, uh, where you need to, um, start thinking about, you know, well, what is that solution going to be? Um, so the techniques we use internally, um, we, um, might create a landing page, which just helps us explain what that idea might be. And we might drive um, some traffic to it or find ways to get people to, you know, register some interest that will give you a little clue, um, of whether you've got a strong idea. Um, we might build a prototype, which is, you know, uh, there's lots of tools now that let you kind of, um, without writing any software, you can design, you know, your product, whatever that might be, uh, using a design tool, uh, just the kind of pages and what they look like and make them clickable. Um, so Marvel and Envision are both tools that let you do that. Um, and then you can actually show people and go, you know, would you use this and, and watch their reaction? So you've moved from um, asking people about their past experiences of their problems, uh, you know, that if that comes back with a clear signal that there is a clear problem and now you've created like, you know, had, had lots of ideas and created some prototypes and you've now put it back into their hands and then you get a reaction of, you know, this is great. This is amazing. When is this going to be out? You've got another clue. If they don't, you haven't wasted a lot of money and energy, you know, trying to find developers and trying to find, you know, you've started to test your idea really quickly. Um, we use a workshop format internally called the um, design sprint format. It's like a five day, workshop. Um, the first day you kind of, um, look at all the research that you've done, look at the customers, look at the competitors in the space. Uh, the second day you generate lots of ideas. Um, the third day you start to whittle down the ideas and then on the fourth and fifth day you build a prototype. And on the fifth day you test it with some people. So you very quickly go from an idea to uh, a prototype and back out and to get some real feedback. Um, once you've got a positive kind of signal from your prototypes, then you need to think about, okay, what is the piece of software that I can launch that will let me get some real customers? And depending on the type of, and I'm talking about software businesses, but it could apply to others. You know, uh, it might be that I open a stall on the street and sell something, right? Like that could be the way to get your first customer. Um, but for most digital products, it's, you know, uh, if it's an e-commerce thing, you know, use, a, use Shopify, get an e-commerce store up quickly. Might not be perfect. You might not like it, but you can test more about can I sell my product and uh, will people buy it? Um, if it's like, you know, there's lots of people that create Kickstarter campaigns for hardware projects. So because it's expensive to build hardware projects. So you do a Kickstarter campaign, uh, sell the idea, people give you money, 
that's a test proof that they want it, then use the money to go and build it. You know, there's another way to do it. Sometimes you do have to write software. Uh, and I'm a big believer of, um, you know, uh, do things that don't scale. So, um, for example, if you're building um, a marketplace business like uh, Airbnb, so marketplaces generally have um, buyers and sellers. Um, you know, so if you think about Airbnb today, it has uh, it's pretty automated. There's no one um, you can speak directly to the sellers. Uh, you rarely ever talk to Airbnb and their customer services. It's all automated. Uh, but when they first launched, you know, it probably was. Uh, you know, you could send a message, maybe it went to Airbnb, who then tried to find a seller to match you and find your property. You know, so that way you're not building a lot of software, you're doing a lot of manual stuff. Um, and the benefit of that is you get a lot of direct contact with your early customers um, and really understand the problems that they're facing. So, I mean, Airbnb was a classic example where, you know, they launched this product, no one was really using it. Um, and then they started to uh, visit anyone that tried to use it and started to take photo photographs for, and they realized that people were not taking good photographs of their properties. And so they went and took the photographs. Um, they thought that that wasn't a scalable thing to do, but it really helped them understand all the things that concerns that people had. Um, in fact, they still do that now at scale. They still provide you if you want it with a photographer. So, you know, the do things don't scale actually has allowed them to scale. So, you know, that's a good mantra to, to follow is like, and a lot of the founders, one of the biggest pieces of help that I give them is, so a lot of the founders that we back are um, business experts, domain experts. Um, we get some technology experts as well, but a lot of them, um, they get so worried about technology that they want to build all the technology because then it makes them feel happy. That like, oh, I feel comfortable now. Like I've got all the technology. And the first thing I say is just don't build it because like the, the worst thing is you build the wrong piece of software that's way more of a drag on your business. So you're better off building less, doing more manual things. And then when you start to see what's working, you automate the things that are working. And, and that way you uh, end up building the right product. So um, yeah, and then I guess for some companies, let's say, um, do you know the tool Slack? I do, yes. Slack tool, right? Like you can't do a concierge service of Slack. That, that doesn't work. You can't manually send messages around. It just doesn't make sense. So for those type of businesses, um, you have to build a bit more software. Um, and generally, you'll find a pattern with those kind of companies where they will have a, a closed kind of beta group, friends and family, or within a company, which is how Slack was created, where they will build the kind of the core product. Um, and every product will have like some core loop that you go around. Um, and they will build that rough and ready and play with it internally until they kind of feel like it's all working and then they will commercialize it and then push it out into the world. So, you know, we've launched companies which follow a concierge model in maybe like six weeks. Um, ones that have more like the Slack type, um, sort of, you know, use case, they take sort of between three to six months, but we'll do lots more prototyping upfront to make ourselves comfortable that it's going to be a good idea. So that's, you know, that, that, depending on the product, there's a few different things you could do to stay very lean and learn uh, without, you're basically trying to avoid building lots and lots of software. 
Yeah, yeah. And and the lean canvas model you've you've just explained there, does that work across product services? Can any business sit down and and and, and create that plan? Yeah, so you know, there's nothing on there that is um uh sort of specific to technology. It's what is the problem? Who are your customers? What's the solution? Um, what are the channels that you're going to use to reach them? Uh, what's your cost structure going to be and how much money are you going to make? What's your business model? Yeah. You know, yeah. like so there's nothing there that is specific to um any type of business mm-hmm. and it just allows you to go what are the assumptions i'm making here and have i really done have i thought about a way that i could test this quickly and get a clue yo what's up my name is chris akabusi hello i'm simon zucci hey this is scott volker and you're listening to escape the rat race radio 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 So when someone has gone through that process, Darmesh, and obviously we both work with many, many startup aspiring entrepreneurs. And one of the challenges is being on your own, trying to do everything by yourself. And I know this is a big part of what Forward Partners offers is that you actually, you say, hey, you know, come and be part of our team, you know, and how important is that for someone who's listening now, who, who maybe is feeling like they just don't have the time to do everything that they need to get done in their business. What would be one piece of advice um, of how to go about finding your team? So, yeah, you know, so we're one solution, but, you know, uh, we probably get, um, you know, 3,000 applications every year that we speak to and we we work with six. So this isn't going to work for everyone. Um, Doing it by yourself, and then when I did my startup before, I was doing it by myself. Um, that is a very challenging experience to, to do that. And that's why you find a lot of uh, investors and everyone says, find a co-founder, find one partner. You know, suddenly you've got a shared burden. You can share it together. Um, and I think that that's quite important to at least find someone that you can work with. Um, if you can't, you know, get get the money from somewhere and, and start to hire a team, etc. If you're still like um, trying to hustle your way through, then it's quite important to have some sounding, sounding boards. And it might be that actually, you know, you're doing it by yourself, but you can find advisors, right? You can find friends or people that have been successful in business and say, Hey, I need a mentor, just someone to bounce ideas off. So I think that that, even that alone is really powerful. So, you know, and, and actually you find it's really interesting in the tech space there's so many people that have worked in successful startups that are happy to mentor for no, no real gain uh, other new founders because they were in that experience once before as well. Um, and, uh, you know, and I do that with some of my friends, like they're doing startups and I just, you know, one hour a week, I'll, I'll have a conversation and just give them some advice and challenge their thinking. And, you know, it just stops you ending up in a little rabbit hole. So I think it's important to find some structure, whether it's a partner, uh, you know, a co-founder, um, whether it's, um, uh, an advisor or a mentor, but something that allows you to get some sort of, you know, someone else to look at what you're doing and sort of prevent me from going down a rabbit hole. I think that's quite important. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, of course, you know, within Escape the Rat Race, we we have peer group, we have the inner circle, and it's that touch point with others yeah. who, who are on the same journey, who have made those mistakes and learn, you know, how to rectify it. And it can shortcut your learning just by speaking to these people and, um, you know, sharing your individual skills because we're all good at different things and we can help one another in, in areas that, you know, perhaps we, we shouldn't be focusing on ourselves so much. Yeah. And, and you know, I've, I've got a number of friends that um, are part of like small pods where they kind of meet up once a month uh, and all share and help each other and support each other. And that's another powerful way to like, you know, keep yourself motivated and keep yourself going. Um, 
you know, so yeah, anything like that is useful. So do you have a, a, an interesting case study or a recent story of any of the companies, Darmesh, you've worked with, which you can share how they've gone from literally just having an idea and very, very quickly, maybe, you know, within 12 months even, mm-hmm. have used the lean startup process, lean thinking, and just implemented and have seen some success from that? Yeah, so um, we have recently worked with a company called The Drop. Um, 12, so basically, The Drop um, sell uh, bespoke fitted suits online. And um, Jonathan, the founder, and Steve, who was the tech co-founder, so they were, they were two, um, they came to us with this idea that they wanted to create an online business. Um, his background was, um, he was basically making bespoke suits, but you know, doing them at um, exhibitions and doing it in person, everything was in person. And he noticed a trend that people were coming to him with pictures from Instagram and saying, I just want this suit, can you make it for me? Um, and so he already had the relationships uh, in China of the factories and, and, and elsewhere in the world to help him make the suits. Um, but he was like, you know, this is a, there's a wider opportunity here to do this at scale. And so he came to us, um, the initial version of the product. So we did a lean canvas uh, as part of our investments. We always do a lean canvas. We identified, he filled in all the different areas. Um, we challenged him on every part. Um, you know, what were the assumptions in his business? Um, will people buy suits online, for example? Uh, how will they feel about measurements? Because um, that was like, how do you do that, right? Like take measurements. Um, and his idea was if they send me three photos, I can actually calculate um, using their height and their, and their waist, um, the ex- actual measurements for the suits. And um, so we basically, um, before we invested, we asked him to do that for us. We sent him some photos. Uh, he made us the suit. It worked. They fitted. Um, and, um, and then we came in when he, we invested in the company. Uh, we went and interviewed 20 or 30 people, um, some of his past customers that had done it in person. Um, so there weren't any customers that were doing it online, but we found customers that were buying bespoke suits and trying to understand, like, what is it really that's going on? And, you know, you start to see some patterns that bespoke suits are really expensive um, for people that want them, like they're, they're, they're out of their price bracket. Um, lots of people want a bespoke suit. They understand that, like, a fitted suit is better. And the experience of buying a suit... Uh, off the rack is not satisfying because they, you know, um, they have to go to the shops. Um, they don't fit, they don't fit perfectly. And so that is what they've left with. And so after that, we realized, okay, you know, the, the signals from the interviews are all positive. Um, we asked about, um, you know, understanding the measurements process and how that works. Um, and so that was, you know, the one area of risk is like, will you really send in photos? Um, are people prepared to do measurements at home, for example? And the only way that we could prove that is actually to, to put something live on the internet. Um, and so what we did was uh, we built a homepage that explained the proposition. And then it was a very simple um, form that just said, you know, upload the photo of the suit that you'd like to make. Here's how much it costs. And one of our customer service agents will get in touch with you. Um, and that was the minimal product that we put out there. And as soon as some, you know, we, we spent some money on Google to drive some traffic. And somebody said, hey, I'd like a suit and um, sent up sent a photo jonathan was on the phone speaking to him on the phone uh, explaining to him you know can you just send us three photos of yourself with a couple of measurements and um we showed him some swatches of you know the different fabrics and that customer bought the suit um you know and so what within four or five weeks we had a suit delivered customer was very happy was like raving about it um and, and you know, as soon as, as soon as you sell the first suit, 
you you can then go and sell another one. Like, you know, that there's that thing of like your first, your first sale is the hardest. Um, and every single time I've seen it, that you make your first customer, like the reality is you're going to get more. It's just a question of like how many more and how efficiently can you acquire those customers, but you will get more. You know, it does go from one to five to 20 to a hundred. Uh, I've never not seen that happen, um, which is quite interesting. Um, so yeah, and then we, kept driving traffic to the website. Um, we interviewed every customer that ordered. Um, we started to really dig into um, the sending of the photos as measurements. And it turns out actually that there was lots of people going, can I just send you my measurements? I'm not really wanting to send the photos. Um, or I don't feel comfortable just sending you photos. And I'm very happy to just take my own measurements. And so suddenly we realized it was like, oh, actually maybe the idea that this just has to be about sending photos wasn't the important piece here. So that's where you can go back to the canvas and say your solution has changed, right? It's no longer that. And we don't, maybe don't promote that as much. Um, and we then decided that people were buying, but they weren't, con lots of customers were coming to the site, but not so many were converting as we would have liked. And uh, one of the things that we changed, we said, it doesn't feel like an e-commerce website. People can't see suits. And some people had photos and other people didn't have photos. And so they were a bit stuck. And so then we built like a more like a Pinterest gallery of suits on the website where they could actually then look at the, the suit itself and check out and buy. And, um, you know, suddenly we did that and suddenly it started converting better because people were familiar with it. It made them feel comfortable. And so, you know, that unlocks a new piece of growth. Um, and now we're just iterating and developing that proposition. And they're now 12 months in, um, they, uh, are doing about, £120,000 worth of suits every month. Uh, they've got their own little team. Uh, they're profitable uh, and about to raise the seed round and off they're going to go into their own, you know, un into their own space. And, you know, and that's amazing. That's amazing to see that, you know, we've got all these boxes of suits in the office and it's like, you know, um, they're going to they're go off now and, and, you know, hopefully smash it. And knowing that you've seen it from that one suit, when everything was unclear and you weren't sure to now everyone feeling quite confident, you know, there's something they're going to, they're going to do all right. Um, and you know, there's, there's new things that they have to challenge, challenge themselves. How do they scale operations? How do they manage that? How do they uh, improve their brand? But that's all part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's fantastic. And we hear many stats, don't we, about new businesses and the failure rate and, and you know, how it's so difficult. Um, it was always suggested, you know, the, the reason that most businesses fail is, is lack of cash flow. And, and that obviously is going to stem from lack of sales. Would you have anything to add to that at all in your experience, Darmesh? So most of the companies that we back uh, lose money for the first two or three years in general, right? That's why they have to raise money from investors. Um, Obviously, you know, they're going for a higher growth model. They hire, but you know, in order to build a product, it costs money. Uh, if you're trying to acquire customers on Google or Facebook, generally you, you start off with a poor product that doesn't convert very well. So it becomes quite expensive to acquire them. And when you raise money from venture capital, it allows you to basically go, that's okay. I will, I will acquire these customers at a loss. Uh, I will use those customers to learn how to improve my product. I'll keep improving my product until the point that actually I start to make money from, from them. And then I'm, you know, then I'm on my way. Um, you know, and that can be the, like, the drop is an exception. Um, 
most most startups will you know it could be three years it could be five years it could be 10 years with it because they're growing and growing and growing where like making a profit isn't really their priority um if you're haven't got venture capital then you have to be more creative in how you acquire your customers uh, and you have to keep your costs lower so um you know you might advertising may paid advertising may not be the channel that will work for you maybe you have to um you know, uh, build a little community on Facebook and use them to like become your early customers. Maybe it's you hustling and going out the door and flyering to get your customers. Um, so, you know, but the way that you acquire customers will be different and, but that will allow you to have a business where you can like, you know, make money and actually keep your, sustain yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the slight, slight difference. Yeah. Well, I can, I can talk about my own experience when I started Escape the Rat Race and I never intended that to be a business. It started as simply a monthly meetup event where in the first year, a thousand people had joined. And from that, we then had the online Facebook community where we now have over a thousand and it, it organically grew and, and yeah. community was so important. And, um, you know, I think it all comes from your passion, doesn't it? At the beginning. And we hear this term, you've got to be passionate about your business, but if you don't love what you're doing, then when the times are tough, and as you say, when you're not making money for an extended period, if you don't truly believe in what you're doing, it's going to get tough. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, the, the startups are hard, stressful. Uh, in, income is low, like, you know, there's, and it's lumpy, and it's like, you know, highs and lows, and you, you know, something happens, and you're like, oh, damn it, I have to go back to the drawing board. And yeah, if you're not in the right space that you feel passionate about, it, you know, how are you going to have the resilience to sort of, fight you through it, I guess. Yeah, for to- totally. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you meet lots of founders who, you know, they have a different model. They go for the um, consultancy, uh, sort of, I'll support myself with the day job and I'll find a way to maybe do a three or four day a week thing and then use that bit of extra time to develop my startup so that I can still make a loss on it, but grow it slowly. You know, that's the model. You see the agency model where people start agencies and then they have enough uh, work that they can allocate, you know, 20% of their team to developing a startup idea and do it that way. Um, or you go straight out and raise venture capital, but you know, there, there's a few different ways you, you do it to get started. Yeah. Yeah. So Darmesh, I have a question from the community from Kerry Walcott. And it's something that I think probably crops up quite often in people's minds, certainly aspiring entrepreneurs who think they have the next big thing. And Kerry said, how do you go about protecting your ideas? And specifically for Kerry, she has a process, a certain way of something being done, which can have a really, really huge impact on, on business owners. And she knows that by herself, it's going to be tough and that she probably needs to partner or find a joint venture with someone who can get it out there on scale. But then how can you trust? that they're not going to steal that idea? Um, it's a hard one. So obviously there's things like scientific research where you can get patents to protect your idea. Um, we have rarely invested in any startups which have patents, right? Like they just, uh, not because we don't want to, it's just that we generally find that most people when they do startups are like, I have an idea and that the only way that I can protect it is that if I work on it and get it out there and then just keep building on it. Um, I meet a lot of people that say, oh, Damish, I've got this startup idea. Can you give me some advice? And then I phone them up and then they say, yeah, but I don't really want to tell it to you. And I'm like, well, how can I help you if, if you're not even going to tell me your idea because you're worried that I'm going to steal it? Like, given that it's going to take me 10 years to develop this idea anyway, and I'm not passionate about it, it's your passion, you should not be worried about like, you know, telling the idea because the idea is just one part of it. Um, I think if you've got a process, then 
ultimately you do have to think about like who that partner might be and if they are going to be a threat and that does happen sometimes but i think the worst thing is if you don't start working on that idea and getting it out there um because that is the best way to protect your idea is to like stop you know you start owning it and getting it out there right and it's it's very rare that someone will just look at it and go i'm just going to copy that and off i go because there's still lots of space if it's a great idea that you're still going to carve out a piece for you for yourself Okay, brilliant. Thank you for that. So we're drawing close to uh, the end of our time together, Dharmesha. It's been fascinating and there's so much more that I'd love to get out of you. And I know we're talking about hopefully doing some more uh, later in the year for Escape the Rat Race and perhaps some live workshops around the Lean yeah. Canvas model as well. Um, what, what would be some of your final thoughts for, for someone who is in the nine to five, they're in the rat race right now, they've got an idea, they really truly believe in it, but mm-hmm. some, something's holding them back and it's probably fear, uh, lack of self-belief, maybe lack of knowing exactly what the next steps are. What would be your one piece of advice for someone in that situation right now? Um, speak to 10 or 20 people and then get something live. Put something out there in the world. Yeah. That would be, you know, even if it's just a Facebook group. Yeah. And I think that's been the theme, hasn't it, from today yeah. is just just customer is king. You've got to have that feedback because whilst it's just floating around in your head, it's simply an idea and exactly. you need to get that feedback. So that's great. Just take action and uh, you'll learn from that very process. Yeah. Yeah. So Dharmesh, it's been a great conversation with you today. I'm sure that all the aspiring entrepreneurs listening right now have a much clearer understanding of how to get started with lean thinking now that you've laid everything out so clearly for us. So thank you very much for sharing that. Before you go, for those listening who would love to connect with you, learn more about Forward Partners, how you work, and I know you produce some great content which you put out on the blog, where are the best places online to connect with you? Yeah, so um, uh, on Twitter, it's uh, Dharmesh R., um, so you can, you can reach me there, um, forwardpartners.com. And we also, uh, write a lot of, um, startup content on the pathforward.io, uh, where we write a lot of this advice of like stuff that we're learning on how to build a startup. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time today, Dharmesh. I look forward to uh, chatting again soon. Pleasure. Cheers. Well, I really hope you enjoyed listening to today's interview with Dharmesh Reiteter and his advice there on how you can get started on the right track with lean thinking and obtaining the best results in your new business. I wholeheartedly agree with the advice that Dharmesh gave that before you begin investing money into your new business, that you absolutely must go out and get some real life feedback from people who are experiencing the problems which you're promising to solve. You'll discover things you often simply hadn't even considered yourself, and you may even realize that the problem with which you think exists actually isn't really a problem for enough other people to make it worthwhile you pursuing any further, which can save you a whole bunch of time and money. So if you're at those early stages of your own business and seeking accountability from other like-minded and highly focused individuals, as well as regular access to experienced mentors in different areas such as business, marketing, property, or wealth building, then you might be interested in joining our very own peer group for aspiring entrepreneurs, the Escape the Rat Race Inner Circle. No matter where in the world you are, we have a level that can support you. Now, if you're interested, you can head on over to www.etrr.online forward slash inner circle to find out more. I'd be absolutely thrilled to have you join us. 
Well, that's all from me this week's episode. Don't forget to join us for our daily conversation with over 1,000 other escapees in the ETRR private Facebook group. You can get access by heading on on over, heading over to etrr.online forward slash Facebook. Okay, have a great week. Stay lean. See ya. (laughs) 